Reading is from John chapter 8, starting at verse 2, and can be found on page 1661 of the Church Bibles. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered a law of him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life in. This is the word of the Lord. Father, you've called us to be your people, and you've sent your Son to save us and show us what that looks like. And we pray as we recover this story, you would recover something of that in us. Help our hearts and minds to be open, that we might know you have been with us. And we thank you for the truth of this story. Amen. Uh, well, as I said, we've been um, going through the nation's favorite Bible stories, and uh, this one is well into the top 10 of the New Testament stories. Um, it's a very timely uh, story. I think it's always relevant, uh, but it was such an important story that very, it, was, it was almost circulated on its own in the very early Christian uh, community. It's not in the very, very, very early copy being passed around. It comes in later copies, but it also comes in Luke, which means that it was sort of being passed around as being really, really quite important for Christians to know and understand. And there's such a lot in it. I think it's great that we're looking at it, and it's important that we do, because our society needs things like this, which is why I'm encouraged that it's, it's in the top, it's so high in the top ten. If you think about it, I mean, this week I was watching the news and um, saw an article that the actress, a very fine actress, Emma Thompson, was saying she didn't want to work on a particular project with, uh, which included uh, John Lasseter, who had been one of the chief executives at Pixar, the Disney computer animation company. And, and, I, can, and I can see her point. She's got a, he's got a terrible history of allegations of misconduct against women, and that makes her feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, some of her comments were saying, well, there's no way back for him. How is he ever going to work? What can you do? What could he do to convince me that he's okay now? 
And there's all sorts of recriminations. Read the article for yourself. There's lots of recrimination within there, and, and it's understandable because that kind of abuse is particularly unhelpful and, and, and sad and terrible. But when we look at our society, it's very, very good at blaming people and saying, this is the line I draw, and we're increasingly becoming polarized in worlds of ideas that actually no, have no longer got any middle ground. And one of the ideas we've lost, it seems, is that there's a way back. Or that it's, you know, we acknowledge this is bad, but where are we going to go from here? So it's an important story, perhaps for people that we know, people that we were mixed, people that we, we have to, sort of, you know, customers, clients. We all get mixed up and we sort of all get problems landing on our desk. And how do we deal with these in perhaps a Christ-like way? Just think about the week that you've had so far, or the week that's just been, rather, and, and what sorts of things have landed on your desk where you've said, or you're on your email, or your whatever, and you say, what are they thinking? And then where does the dynamic go from there? How are we going to deal with this? And, and it's very easy to say, well, that's because they are like this. We find ourselves actually in need of it too. And in a world of celebrities, press, and politicians, who are consistently raising issues and breaking people down. Um, where, what hope is there for us? Well, I just want to look at this story. I mean, it's familiar, it's nice and short in some ways. Um, but let's have a look at some of the detail uh, and see what we can uh, come from it, get from it. Um, it's interesting, the Jewish leaders are together. Uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees have combined. They weren't the same group, naturally, but they've uh, got themselves together. And we realize that they are plotting to undermine Jesus. Um, it, let's have a look at what they say in verse 4. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. It's very probable that she was. The Greek says she was caught in the spectre act of adultery. Now, whether they knew it was going on, whether they suspected there was an affair, maybe they'd heard rumors of somebody with somebody else or what have you. They've found her, and they've caught her, and they've brought her in front of Jesus, this great teacher, and they're shaming her. But the hypocrisy is evident from the start, isn't it? Because if she was caught in the very act of adultery, there was a man there too, and he got away. <laughs> he was let off. So there's hypocrisy evident straight away, and they bring this charge to Jesus. In the law... Verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So they're referring to Old Testament law, Leviticus 20, uh, Deuteronomy 22, where, which outlines that the people, you know, people should not be doing this, and the penalty for it is to be stoned to death. So they're citing the words of Moses, their great teacher, that one who received the law from God. And then they say, now what do you say? Or even in some translations, but what do you say? So you can see that this is a, a confrontation. They're heading for, what's your teaching really like? What are you really about? Because if Jesus accepts the woman must out stoned to death, then he's seeking capital punishment without Caesar's permission. They live under Roman law, not Jewish law. So if Jesus is sanctioning that she be stoned to death, then he'll get into trouble with the Romans. But if Jesus lets her off, then Moses' law is not very important. 
And the law that he claimed elsewhere to support was false, that it was just words. So they want to catch Jesus in this dilemma. Will I stand up for what is right, or will I compromise? Well, those are probably questions that we all face most days. But that's an important thing that they're um, trying to get to. Will this teacher stand by what he says, or will he fold under pressure? And those are, those are questions we face, aren't they? Um, the interesting thing is what he does in response, isn't it? So comment six, verse 6 is a comment. They were using this as a trap. But Jesus' response is remarkable. Who in this drama would do this sort of thing? Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. That's amazing, isn't it? He's not allowing himself to get drawn into this conflict. He's not getting, allowing himself to get drawn into this, well, they say this and you say this. Somehow he's regularly back from it, and he's looking at it from a different angle and a different picture. And how many of us are able to do that regularly or well? No hands up. Okay, fine. That, that you're, you're all like me then. <laughs> Brilliant. So he's, he's not getting involved in it. The first thing he's, what's the bigger thing here? That's quite a powerful thing to be able to do. And there's a lot of speculation about what Jesus wrote or why. Enormous amounts of ink have been spilled, and there are lots of theories. There are two amongst the many that might be helpful to us. Um, um, these are speculations, so don't say, our oh, vicar said, Jesus wrote this, please. Yeah, all right? I get into trouble for that sort of stuff. Um, but the first, <laughs> the first idea is based on what he says later. Verse 9, <clears throat> look at verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. So Jesus says to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So the first one theory or one suggestion is that he's writing down a list of their sins in the dirt. So it's quite an, it's quite an attractive thought, isn't it, actually? Here is Jesus who knows the hearts of men and he's looking at each of them, and he's going, oh, yeah, okay, embezzlement, adultery, lying, yeah, violence. So he's writing all that stuff down in the, in the, in the their sin, and they can see it in front of them. And it's, it's loosely based on the idea that he's got the list of their sins in front of them. So if any of you's without any of this, yeah, sure, go ahead. Um, but that's one speculation. Uh, the other speculation that I prefer, actually, is that he's just drawn a picture of them and a giant lightning bolt from heaven. And, and that just to, just to remind them that they could be in trouble at two. It isn't clear, and we do not underline no. All right? that's, but that's not the point. He's not getting involved in the debate on their terms because they see themselves as right. And the woman is definitely wrong. Even though they're all of the, you know, the, sort of the shenanigans to get to this point. Will he remind them? What will he do? How will he respond? Well, Deuteronomy 17, which is what Jesus is referring to when he says in verse 7, if any of you is without sin, says this, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people 
so you shall put away things to get from among you. Really hard stuff. Really difficult things to get our head round. But in the middle of that is this little clause, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first. And what they're saying, what, what, what that law is encompassing is this idea that, well, you can't just be a mob. And the person who actually has the right to say, you've wronged me, is the person who should be there, throwing it first. This woman, or the escaped man's wife, have no spouse on the scene. These are people who have just sort of brought up something that they want to bring before Jesus to make them look good. Look how we observe the law. Look how vigilant we are. It reminds me sometimes you know, people say, we want to talk about sin in the church. And I'll say, yeah, okay, you first. But there's a sense here about who they want to portray themselves to be rather than what they're really like and who Jesus really is. I think Jesus agrees with Moses, doesn't he? He quotes Deuteronomy. He said, fine, Deuteronomy was written by Moses and so was Leviticus. But he also put in it this bit, which you seem to have overlooked. So he's agreeing with Moses, but he's also saying that there were clauses, there were, there were catch-alls, there were safety nets in there, which you're overlooking for your own purposes. And so he's exposed their hypocrisy. He's exposed their lack of love, actually, for one another that um, should have been there. And she's guilty, isn't she? Look what he says in verse 11. Go now and leave your life of sin. He knows what she's like. But there's nobody there who can accuse her because none of them who stand before him is actually innocent. And he's changed the debate to one about their righteousness to one about their standing before God. In one of the um, Hobbit movies, there's a wonderful scene where um, somebody questioned... Uh, you, yeah, just follow me on this and look it up later. But King Thorin is the only one who wants to go to the Lonely Mountain and then recover all of his treasure. And somebody says, what gives you the right? And he says, I'm the king. I've got the only right. I'm the only one who has the right. And Jesus is the only one here who is right. He's the only one who is righteous. He's the only one who is innocent. And we see Jesus here presented as we, as we grow to understand him. He's the only one who is able to condemn. But it turns out he's come to save people instead. That's the joy of John 3, 16 and 17, isn't it? Have a quick look at it now. Let's quick. Who can get there first? Oh, it's me. Right. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus has come to save them. He is the one who will judge. He is the one who could condemn. But here, he is gracious and lovely and wonderful in a circumstance that could just have gone so wrong. And it, hopefully it makes us think about how we handle situations we're presented with, how we think about ourselves, because this story unpacks what we think about God's justice and what we think about his mercy. Because forgiveness bridges the two. Ages ago, I remember teaching a GCSE class about crime and punishment. 
And I asked them how, what they thought about the murder of Jamie Bolger and what they, needed, what they thought should happen to Venables and um, Thompson as a result. And I don't, you know, we remember, that was a shocking news story. It was, horror, it was horrific, absolutely horrific. And, and the class, who probably weren't alive when it happened, really got, really, really, you know, the answers that I got were the sorts that we could imagine, tipping over into the inventions of new punishments. But they were what we'd expect to see perhaps in more tabloid press. It's quite powerful. It's quite moving, actually. And then I asked them about a similar story about two boys in Norway, about the same age, a bit younger, in fact, than Thompson and Venables. And these two lads in Norway were fans of the Power Rangers cartoon, and they'd been acting it out in the playground at break, and they'd kicked this girl unconscious in the snow, and she died. And I said, what do you think about that? And they were almost, they were you know, terrible, terrible, you know, awful thing to do. But it was TV and there were all sorts of excuses. And I told them that in the, in the news, I showed them the news report and somebody from the village basically was in tears saying, how could we let this happen? That was all he could say. How could we let this happen? And so I put it to the, I put it to the class. If you were caught like... Thompson and Venables, doing something like that, where would you rather live? And the answer is unanimous, isn't it? We'd rather be in Norway. We'd rather have somebody help us than somebody condemn us. And those are tough things. For I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they were honest. But we need to have that kind of thinking sometimes because the, the tenet of the Christian faith, what we hold on to, is that though we are bad and we're not what God intended us to be, He's come in and he stooped down and said, how did, I get, how did we get to this point? How did we let this happen? Where can we go from here? And the truth of the gospel is that when we meet with Jesus, he picks us up, dusts us down and says, right, walk with me this time. And that's what we need. That's what we all need. Because we all face these situations every day where we repeat the sorts of stuff that got us into the boat in the first place, the wrong place as it was. Last week, I ended the service by um, quoting from Psalm 103. Very simple truth. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. The ancients knew it. These people have known it from old. We, re we, re we remember that in our word, in, in, when we read those words. And it's the way that God looks upon us and the way that Jesus treated the woman that should be we should be embodying, that we know that we're, we're guilty. But God in Christ has chosen to forgive us. That's how he's balanced his justice and his mercy. If there's no justice, if God didn't take the lens of it all seriously, then the world's hopeless and makes no sense and there's no justice and there's, there's no sense of it all. God doesn't care about the oppressed and those who've suffered. That's just tough. We want justice, but we don't want to deserve justice. And then Jesus presents instead mercy. You're lost, you help. Without mercy, there's no hope. Because we all need mercy. We all need forgiving. But if there's no mercy, God's love, talk about love, is just talk. 
And it doesn't change us or shape us in any way at all. And we continue in this confused thing of, well, what's it about anyway? And I'm sad to say, I think that's what we see in other faith, some other world faiths. This really high standard, which you can't meet, which is impossible, and no way of actually reconciling what I've done wrong with God. And yet Jesus at the cross, which we're remembering uh, this morning, draws us together because the need for sin to be dealt with and the need for mercy to be given are, are demonstrated by Jesus' willingness to take our place. And the reality is that Jesus was the only one who could accuse us. but He was the only one who could save us as well. And we walk in his steps, hopefully. And passages like this, call us to be honest about ourselves, don't they? We want to point out sins and faults in others. It's easy. We want to be able to say, well, you know, because it, it, distances, it distances opinion from what we're really like. It deflects criticism over to somebody else. Yeah, well, but look at them. Hands up if you've ever done that. Three, four, okay. But we rarely really address our own. These, these, these Pharisees and teachers of the law have really, they've come unstuck, haven't they? It's only when they realize that Jesus calls them out. That's when they leave. That's when they realize what they're really about. They're not about God's lo love and justice. They're just about propping themselves up to look good. And perhaps you're good at finding faults in people and finding things wrong and highlighting how things really should be. Well, you know, we all live to standards. We all want to sort of do better. But we also need to be honest about our own needs, don't we? And our own failings. It's just as much stuff going on in each of us. And it's good to be honest about it. We don't really have the place to put ourselves above anybody else and, and point out their faults at all. Who's, who, and perhaps you're somebody who's, who's been victim. Perhaps you're like the woman who's, who's been dragged through stuff and shamed and, and battered and abused against. And we have to remind ourselves that gee, even though the world might rail against us, Jesus does not condemn us. He loves us. He thinks we're one of the best things he ever did. We have to lose hold on to that. We have to not lose sight of that. And when you're sort of being crowded in, that's really hard. Jesus loves you. It's about the most powerful thing you can say. Jesus loves you. Say it to yourself. Remind yourself every day. And maybe you've been, you're somebody who's been in that position and somehow you've, you've got through. Somehow you've remembered, uh, you, you, you've been in a dark place and you've remembered Jesus' forgiveness. And you've forgotten what it feels like. Or we don't live our lives worthy of that forgiveness. That we carry on in our sin and those cycles aren't broken. But we need to recover that moment when we realize what Jesus had done for us. That moment when we realize that there is no condemnation. He does not condemn those who put their trust in him. That you are free. We've talked about it. It is the best place to be in the world. We need to remind ourselves that if I'm there, if I'm in that place, why would I want to be anywhere else and hold on to what we have with all our heart? 
And we need to tell people what forgiveness is like because it's a message that lots of people need to hear. Shall we pray? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to save us. Help us to live the life you've won for us. Amen.